you have a Bible nearby, let's go to Psalm 23. Tonight we bring this series to a close, so to speak. Um, the real end of the series will be next Sunday night when we will uh, take communion together. Um, but uh, I want to look at the last verse tonight. Um, and there will be a lot of recap in it. Uh, because I, I believe that the last verse is really kind of a, a conclusion that David is drawing. Now, I don't know this for a fact, because uh, I don't know David personally, but one day in heaven I'll ask him if I'm incorrect. I'll find all of you and apologize to you there. Uh, but I, I feel like this is a summary statement of everything that uh, has led up to this point. Let's look at the last, last verse. Um, it says, Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. And I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Uh, we're going to leave this up for a second. Let's just kind of break this verse down uh, for a second. Um, surely, goodness, goodness and mercy. I think surely is, that's kind of where I get the the sense that he's kind of this is kind of almost maybe a reflection over the previous five verses. This is kind of the conclusion that he's drawing. Um, goodness and mercy. Uh, goodness. Is is it's an attribute of God. Uh, in Psalm one nineteen verse sixty eight, it says, "You are good and do good." That everything God does is ultimately boils down to like what is good, and and I I think that that is something that we I think we kind of naturally uh, resist that a little bit because sometimes we look around the world and we say, "Okay, how can how can God be good and, and do good, and yet these things still exist?" You know. And, even the things we were talking about earlier, how can there be train stations? How can there be, uh, you know, that many orphans in Sudan and God still be good and do good? And the truth is, uh, there is a ton of unknown in that. Uh, there is not a clean, nice, neat answer for that question. Um, other than the fact that uh, goodness to God and or God's goodness and our definition of goodness probably don't really line up all the time. And what I would say is, uh, like, take the train station. How can how can there, the train station exist with those kids and God be good and do good? And what I would say is, well, Nabeen Matilda, Matt, that church, Hope of Life, His Voice, Us, all goodness, right? So through, I think that through the church, the goodness of God works itself out. And and so that is goodness, and that'll make sen- a little more sense in just a second. Um, but I think that Goodness, we, we have to think about how we really, we understand goodness differently than a lot of times we feel like we do. For parents, uh, like I know when I, when I was growing up, uh, there were, there were times when goodness looked like, uh, like things that I was allowed to do and not allowed to do. Like there were, that was goodness for me as my parents saying, you, yes, you may do this. No, you may not do this. Uh, and, but there were other times when what goodness looked like was them giving me the freedom to choose that knowing that I wasn't going to choose something that they could not repair. So sometimes goodness is is God just getting it done, and sometimes goodness is God giving us the freedom to make choices, good or bad, either way, his goodness, he, he knows I'm not going to let you make a decision that I can't come in and repair. So in, in either case, there's goodness there. Um, so keep all that in mind. Um, surely goodness and then mercy is uh, the the Hebrew word that's used there. Is one, it's one of the, just the, the most meaningful Hebrew words that you will ever study. 
and I'm going to put off a lot of that till next week uh, when we go through communion. But um, I, I feel like a better explanation of that word is not so much mercy as uh, as steadfast love. That word is it's what's used to describe the like the the covenant of love between us and the Lord. Um, and so uh, if we can just switch gears in our minds to think when you see mercy, you're really thinking steadfast love. Um, that that is, it's that 1 Corinthians 13 kind of love. Um, you know, patient and kind and doesn't hold record of wrongs and basically like hopes all, endures all, never ever fails, completely just steady, steadfast, always there, without condition, without whatever. Um, David is saying, surely... The goodness, like goodness and steadfast love, will uh, follow me all the days of my life. That that follow me right there is real interesting because it kind of sounds like uh, it. We have a little, maybe it's a little more like creepy sounding than it needs to be. Um, when you when you look at what those words mean in the original language, follow me. It, there are two ideas connected. Well, there's a lot of ideas connected. To it, but two primary ideas connected to the to that specific word. One is pursue. Is that goodness and steadfast love will pursue me um, all the days of my life. That that God is like He's literally like chasing after us with goodness and steadfast love. Like that's the conclusion that I, I feel like He's come to is like that's that's my reality. He's pursuing me. But the other the other thing connected to that word is is the idea of of persecution, like that's what when this word would be used when you are pursuing after someone in order to destroy them. And so if we stop and think about it for a second, like he's pursuing us in order to destroy us with his goodness and his steadfast love. Just let that punch you in the face for a second. That he is steadily chasing after you and he wants to ruin you with his goodness and his steadfast love. Think about Isaiah when he was, you know, with his vision and holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. That idea, and he he says at one point he says, "I I am ruined by the holiness of God." There's a lot to that. But if we if we think about just being completely just obliterated by this steadfast love and this goodness that God is like chasing us down, that's what David is saying. He's like this. This um, is my reality every moment of every day that his goodness and mercy are going to pursue me in order to destroy me. Every day. From forever. That's that's powerful right there. All the days of my life. Um, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Uh, growing up, I thought that meant we had to go to church for eternity. Because people talk about it's a good day to be in God's house. No. No. No house like God's house. No. No. We don't even have our own house. We'd be up a creek if that were that were true, right? We're borrowing houses. So dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Don't think house, okay? Think think like someone in the ancient Near East. Uh, you know, they had tabernacle, you know, temple, like there was a dwelling. Um, but you remember when Jesus died on the cross, the veil was split, the Spirit goes everywhere. So instead of, anyway, instead of thinking like there's a house, that God's going to make us live in his house, just think, I'm, I'm, I live where God lives. 
I will live where God lives. I will live in the presence of the Lord for the rest for the rest of my life in the house of the Lord forever. Um, there's a note in the in the ESV that talks about uh, it's basically basically saying um, for uh, for days without end. I'll be in the presence of God for days without end. I believe that David has come to this conclusion that this is basically saying this is this is my reality. And there's an incredible amount of confidence in this entire psalm. But this verse, I feel like he's saying, okay, this I'm going to choose to live in this reality. I've come to the conclusion that his goodness and his steadfast love are going to they, they pursue me every single day in order to destroy me. And I'm in his presence for days without end. I mean, there will be no end to my nearness with him. I believe he's choosing to live in what is real. That's so much of, of, of what, where I think this confidence comes from in him. I think there's a lot of us that look at that psalm where we say, man, I, I wish I was that confident uh, just in my everyday existence, in, in my life, um, confident in the Lord. We've been studying in, in community groups for the last several weeks, going through the Sermon on the Mount, uh, and that's about Jesus teaching like teaching us to live in what is real. Um, I was telling the community group leader, I mean the MTXs the other day, that uh, that I, I feel like the Sermon on the Mount, it's, it reminds me so much of the, of the Truman Show. Um, that it's like Jesus has 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 come into this deal, and he's trying. Like remember the Truman Show, kid grows up as the star of his own reality show, but he has no idea it's a reality show. It's completely contrived. And so the nation, the world, has watched this kid gr- like grow up his entire life, and they've created this whole entire fake world with fake characters and all this stuff. And there's cameras everywhere, and he has no idea that everything is is contrived. There's this great moment, not to be a spoiler, I know it's a new flick, but uh, there's this really great moment where he's in this boat, if I remember it correctly, I, I might be confusing, but he's in this boat, and he, he gets to the end of the soundstage, you know, like the water like comes to an end, and he's, there's this, this deal where he's like, everything in my entire life is, is fake. Everything is fake. I feel like the, the Sermon on the Mount is like Jesus sitting there at this hillside full of people, and he's like... There, every one of them is like Truman, and he's like, "All right, I'm about to I'm about, let me clue you into what's going on. Everything in your entire life is fake because you're living in a fake kingdom. I'm from the real kingdom. I'm the real king. Let me teach you how to live in what is real. That that's where we are. And I feel like like David is is understanding this in, in this verse, like this is real, and he's saying, "I'm going to live in this reality." And because he lives in this reality, there's this confidence that's there. He's, he knows what's real, and he's choosing to live in it. So why don't why don't we live in that more often? What's the what's the holdup on our end? I I think that I mean there are things, there's a bunch of reasons why we don't. I wrote uh, three of them down. One I think is because we um, we try to eliminate faith from our equate like from our lives completely. We don't live confidently like like a Psalm 23 kind of deal because we're we're just trying to figure out a way to not have to trust him. We want to have everything, every step mapped out in front of us before we go down it, and that's just not going to happen. Um, just the, I mean, the word, the word confidence means like with faithfulness, confidence, confidence with faithfulness. So you will not live 
a confident life in your own, within your own sense, but also within this greater the Lord is my shepherd deal um, without faith being a part of it. It's just, it's going to be there. It's going to be, that's going to be it. So I think that is a lot of times is what, is what keeps us from really living in, in the reality of the kingdom is that we don't want to, we don't want to trust him. And what he's saying is that's part of the deal. You're just not going to get out of that. Um, another reason I wrote down is because we, we are resistant to the idea of a reality that is not one where it's not ours to control. We're resistant to any, anything that, that's out of, out of our hands, you know. So all through, all through the Sermon on the Mount, all through the New Testament, all through the Old Testament, all through the whole Bible, uh, God's basically saying you need to live open-handed. Okay, and that's not just something that refer, refers to money. That's something that just refers to to everything, to His sovereignty and us walking in humility and trust and faith. Is that like we have to be, we have to accept the fact that in this reality there are things that are happening that are not ours to control, and we don't like that very much. We want to control everything about it. So you want to live with the confidence of Psalm 23, then accept the fact that uh, like he is in control of things and you are not. A lot of times people who are, people who are control freaks, they just think, oh, I just, I, lo- I just like to be in control. It's not that they like to be in control. Um, more than they like to be in control, they are terrified of not being in control. That's completely different. But I think all these come down to the third one I wrote down. Uh, it was just really we. We think our reality is better than his reality most of the time. We look at Psalm 23 and we're like, man, that would that would be awesome, but what about this and this and this and this? And so we just kind of think that our contrived reality is is better. It would be like on the Truman Show, Truman discovers that there are cameras everywhere, and and this he's on this TV show, and he has no idea, and everything is fake, everything is fake, and he's like, okay, uh, let me talk to producers, talk to producers, and uh, he's like, I, I'm okay with it this way. Let's let's just let's just roll cameras and let's just kind of keep things going and whatever. That's what that's really what it would be like. There's this fake reality, and yet we're choosing to live in it. Um, the last trip I went on with with Vernon, we were in that that undisclosed place that we can't talk about, and uh, that was that was kind of what the way it was is we would go we all the places that we went like everything was completely contrived and fake, and like for almost like for our benefit a little bit. And I described it like being on the on the Truman Show or or le, like on a movie set or something like that. Like like there were just times when like people would like some guy. I remember one the guy was like pushing a wheelbarrow or whatever. He's like standing. He's like he's like looking at us. And we looked over and he like looks back down like he's pushing his wheelbarrow, but not in the sense that oh they caught me staring at him. It was like oh I'm wait I'm out of character. You know, everything that we everywhere we went and the and the whole time there's this sense in you and and you're going you're going I I know. I know the reality of this country. I know that, that they are not allowed to any information from the outside world, that they're completely under this cult of personality from leadership. And I, I understand all this, all this, all this. And all I really want to do is take this room full of kindergartners and save them and rescue them from growing up in this complete fake environment. I feel like that's, in a sense, like incarnational ministry right there, that Jesus came to the earth and finally, after 30 years, God was like, Father was like, it's time. He gets baptized and he starts preaching. Change the way you think. The kingdom is here. This is what is real. This is what is now. But it's like we find out what, we find out the truth and we're like, ah, I'm just going to stay kind of like things are. Yeah. 
whatever reason it is for you or for me that we don't live this kind of reality, this Psalm 23, specifically verse 6, we're just like, man, he's, he's pursuing me. He wants to just like pummel me with love and goodness. Um, I'm in his presence forever. That's why do I worry, freak out? Why, why the anxiety? Why the troubles? Why the whatever? Why, you know, instead of being there, just being confident in him and who we are, a lot of times we just go right back to that fake world. And so, uh, what I, I wrote down a couple of things that, that I feel like will be important. Like if you're in a place where, where you're like, okay, I want, I want to be, let's phrase it this way. Like I want to live with that Psalm 23 confidence, not self-confident, not self-reliance, not that pride stuff. I want to be confident in the Lord and in myself. And I want, I just, I'm tired of being emotionally bullied, uh, all the time by my circumstances and by just whatever. Um, here, let me give you four things I think that we can take away from this psalm. Uh, like if you if you really wanna like if you wanna see things change, I feel like this could help. Because um, I believe that that we have to get to the point where um, in the moment we know what to do. And I think this this maybe could help. Four things, real real easy, is to to think about four four truths. Okay, it's um, who. Think about who he is. Think about where he is. Think about who you are. Think about where you are. Who he is, where he is. Who you are, where you are. But if I, that, that those four things, if we can, if we can not lose sight of those truths, I think it will help tremendously. Let's let's go through this real quick. Um, who who he is? Uh, well, he's he's the shepherd. He's the shepherd. Remember the, the first week of the series, we looked at the first verse, and we went just went through and just put emphasis on on each of the words in there about those realities, that he is like the sovereign king of the universe who has looked at your life, looked at my life, and said, I will take uh, responsibility for your every necessity, for all of them. I'll be, I'll be the shepherd. Um, one of the things about this psalm, though, that is... It's so important is that uh, is the character of the shepherd. He's not just any shepherd. We we looked at um, him making us lie down in green pastures and what that what that means. Talking about the how shepherds will shepherds have to create they have to create just the right environment for sheep to stop freaking out and like bed down for them to stop freaking out and and eat. And so the sheep are super nervous, and so as long, if there are predators around. They won't. They won't like lie down. If uh, if there are fleas and ticks and stuff like that on them, they won't. They won't do that. If they're hungry, they won't do that. There's a certain environment. Uh, he says he makes me lie down in green pastures. It's basically um, what a lot of shepherds have put input into that, saying like he's he's creating just the right environment for you to lie down, for you to just stop freaking out and rest. Like that's the character of our shepherd. Is he's taking care of all the things that around us that tend to keep us nervous and anxious and worried. He's just he's like, I'm, I'm dealing with it. I'm taking care of it. And the, the environment is just right for us to lie down. Um, he leaves me beside still waters. He's a part of his character is that he, he loves you too much to let you drink out of a cesspool. He's saying, quit, quit, quit doing that. That's bad for you. Uh, let me lead you to something that's good for you. 
He, he leads us to the, the good thing. That's that goodness and that steadfast love that are pursuing us. That's, that's his character. He's not just, he's not some lazy shepherd. He's like, oh, drink, drink whatever you want and, uh, you know, don't get any rest and don't eat and don't, you know, whatever. I mean, you're just dumb sheep. He's not, that's not him. His character is, I'm gonna, I'm gonna create the environment for you to lie down. I'm gonna lead you to the best water that you can drink and I'm gonna keep you from drinking stuff that, that is destroying you, basically. That's his character. Um, we talked about him, uh, he is the restorer of our souls. That at one time we were enemies of God. And yet he formed this plan where his son would leave heaven, come to earth, live a perfect life, die a substitutionary death for us, um, be raised again that we could walk in newness of life, and then join us again. I mean, our, we have crossed over from death into life. That's the character of our shepherd. So we're thinking, who, who is he? Who is he? Who is he? He's someone who, um, who, he's the ultimate forgiver. He's the ultimate restorer. That's, that's his deal. That's what he does. We were his enemies, and yet he has restored us. Um, we talked about his rod and staff being comforting. Um, the, the rod being, being more of like a club that was used, uh, to, to throw at predators, to crush predators. Um, sometimes to use as a discipline deal on when sheep were being, you know, bad or whatever. Uh, but just the, there was that protection there with the rod. Uh, the staff was, is used more, more gently to kind of keep the, the sheep moving along, to let them know that he's there, to pick up the babies and put them next to mom so that, uh, it had the crook in it so that they, they wouldn't smell like a human and be rejected by the mom. And, um, so the rod and staff, you have, you have this protection and discipline. Uh, you also have this care and comfort that, that are there. That's his character. He's not afraid to to destroy what is is possibly um, doing harm to his sheep. Uh, he's also not afraid to discipline his sheep. He's also not not afraid to care for us and to let us know that he is there. Um, all the you press all these things in this song together. We see that that our shepherd is not just any old shepherd. That he is, as described himself, he is the good shepherd. And so when we're struggling to live in reality, we have to recognize that just who he is. And we think about those things. Who is he? The second one is is where where is he? Uh, the short answer is uh, right there. Where Where is he? Right there. We don't have to. We don't have to look. We don't have to wonder. We don't have to be insecure about that. And he's he's right there. We looked at him uh, leading us uh, down paths of righteousness for his namesake, walking through us through the valley of the shadow of death, through the most difficult parts of life. Uh, where is he? He's right there. He's right in front of us. Um, we talked about him uh, preparing a table for us. Where is he? Right there getting the things ready. We'll talk about that more in a second. Um, he is there. He is watching over us. He's completely faithful, and he is 100% fully present all the time. So, who who is he? Um, two, two big words that God uses to describe himself in Scripture. One is holy. The other one is love. Who is he? He is holy. He is love. Where is he? Right there. I mean, right Right there, right here, 
right here, being faithful. He's not bored. He's not falling asleep. He's not far off. He's always right here. So in light of who he is and where he is, we think, okay, okay, so so who who am I? The, the first thing is that you're obviously a sheep, according to Psalm 23. You're one of the sheep. We emphasize the first part. The Lord is my shepherd. Is meaning that is that is my reality. He is. Whether I act like it, whether I feel it emotionally, whether whatever, whatever he is. That's what's real. Welcome to the Truman Show. Everything else is is fake. What's real? God is your shepherd. Okay. He is my shepherd, and he's my shepherd. I don't have to look at somebody else and say, oh, what about this? They have it so good, this and this. No, it's, he's my shepherd. If you are a believer, you have put your faith in what, in Jesus and who he is and what he has done on the cross. Um, you have repented of your sin. If you, if you are a believer, uh, he is your shepherd. That's what's real. So when you think, who am I? Who am I? I'm a sheep. Okay? I'm a sheep. We talked about, uh, oh, the, the next part of verse one. The Lord is my shepherd. Uh, I shall not want. Meaning, I I will lack nothing. I will never want like everything I need is is there for me because of who my shepherd is. So who am I? I'm his. I'm also one who doesn't want, who doesn't need, who doesn't lack. I'm one who is provided for by my shepherd because he is good. Uh, we looked at um, who am I? My soul has been restored. Who am I? I'm restored. I'm no longer separate from him. I'm no longer an enemy of him. My, I have a, a new name. I have a new identity. I have a place at the table. Uh, I am his son, his daughter. I, I am his. My soul has been restored. Talked about the oil and the cup, um, that hosting in that, that day, um, just a, a part of hospitality was that you had oil to help the, your guests freshen up, um, for the cup to always be, like, just to never be empty was, was the way the host demonstrated the value of the guest. Saying, this is how important you are to me. The host would put on display for everybody there, everybody at the dinner, everybody everywhere. This is how important this person is to me. I want to make sure that, that they are taken care of. I want to make sure that all, the, all those needs are met. Um, who, who am I? What's, what's my identity? I'm one who's incredibly valued, uh, incredibly valuable to the shepherd, to the king of the universe. Um, I'm important to him. He knows my name. He knows who I am. So in the quest to figure out who, who am I, uh, put, bring down in one word, you're his. You're, you're, you're his. You're his. Last one, where, where are we? Um, well, there's several things. You're going down a path of righteousness for his name's sake. Where am I? Well, he's bringing you down a path of righteousness. What does that mean? He's, he's teaching you how to, how to live in such a way that is consistent with, with the holiness that defines you as a saint. He's teaching you how to live in what's real. He's leading you down that path of righteousness for his name's sake so that he is glorified by it and everybody sees that. Um, so where are you? You're on a path of righteousness. You might, you might be being a brat. You might be looking the other way. You might be, have just like laid down and making him drag you, but you're on a path of righteousness. That's what, for believers, that's where we are. Um, 
you, uh, where am I? You're under his care. You're under his care. Um, whether you are, whether you're in a valley, you say, where am I? Well, I'm in a valley. Or maybe you say, well, I'm in a green pasture right now. Whether you're in the worst that life has to offer, valley of the shadow of death, or the best that has, life has to offer, green pastures, still waters, um, it doesn't really matter. He's preparing a table for you in the presence of your enemies. Talked last week about how that word prepare, it's a, it's about military strategy. You would, you would prepare your armies for battle in the sense that you would lay out a map and you would decide when to, when to, where to put the armies and when to bring them in and what was the best strategy in order to conquer your, your enemy. It's the same exact word that God is strategically preparing your entire life. Things feel random, they sense random, but they sense to be random, but they're not random. That's where you are. You're seated at a table, and the Lord is orchestrating your whole life for your good, for His glory. Goodness, mercy, pursuing you, ready to just completely just maul you with love and goodness. That's where you are. That's where you are. And the best part is probably the last part of this verse, that you're in His presence. Where am I? I'm in His presence. I'm with Him. So, who who is He? Holy. Love. Where is He? Right there. Being faithful. Who am I? His. Where am I? With Him. If we're disciplined enough to walk ourselves through something as simple as this psalm can really turn out to be, I mean, the the things of earth will grow strangely dim, won't they? It's so it's so peaceful. There's so there's such true shalom in the sense that that we are are like one with the Lord in, in that. You know, our minds lined up with His mind. Our the deep parts of us are lined up with the deep parts of Him, and there's this. There's this complete just way where we're just completely resonating with him. There's this oneness that's there, not in some weird Buddhist sense or anything like that. Like in a real, like that is peace. Some of you feel so at peace right now because we just walk through that that stuff. You do that for yourself. No reason why you have to come to the church or community group or something like that, and that's the only place you can get that stuff. That's why. That's why we do Sunday nights the way we do them. That's why we do community groups the way we do them because. We're, we're learning how to interact with the Word and interact with the Spirit on our own. Walk yourself through that. But it has to come down to the fact of, you know, are we, are we wanting to live in the reality of who He is or not? And I, I believe there are plenty of us who are, just are tired of the back and forthness, you know? Not that we always live in the kingdom of the world. We don't always live in the kingdom of God. And sometimes it's just so exhausting to flip back and forth. But I, I believe that Jesus wants to disciple us and teach us and, and how, to, how to really live there. Like really just, I mean, change the way we think. Change the way we function. Change the way we make decisions. Change the way we just process through life. And I believe that Psalm 23 can be a tremendous tool of discipleship for us. Lord, teach me. Teach me to always be aware of who you are and where you are, who I am in light of that, and where I am in light of that, and let everything just get reordered. Um, 
But at the end of the day, it's 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 really it comes down to me, it comes down to you, saying yeah, that's that's what I want, that's what I want. And so I hope that hope that that's this is beneficial for us, that as a church family, we're not just you know kind of just putting along through life. That we really sense that this is a part of the path of righteousness for us, is to be challenged by this psalm. And, and how the Lord wants to use it with us, and that we would not chalk this up to, you know, any sense of randomness, but a part of the table He's prepared for us, part of the strategy for our lives as a church, has been to to dig into this stuff. Now, what are you going to do about it? What am I going to do about it? Um, what we're going to do about it now is we're going to sing a song or two before we go, and let the Lord maybe drive some of this stuff down into our hearts, and then we're going to go. So really, the ball is in your court, the ball is in my court, see where it goes. Let's pray. We'll sing. Um, Father, we thank you uh, for. I mean, just I mean, what a what a powerful six verses that we've just slowly crept through the last couple of weeks. Um, it's amazing that to think that we are being pursued by your goodness and your steadfast love. That every every step of our lives. Um, every every moment that that is what is really going on, and whether it's um, whether it's in the worst that life has to offer or the best that life has to offer, there's goodness and steadfast love just coming after us. I, I pray God that we would not run. That when we hear the word pursue in order to obliterate us like that, that we wouldn't think that is a negative thing. We would think that's the best. That's just the best news I could possibly ask for. Um, and that we would not run, but that we would just, we would just stop and let you catch us. Let you pummel us with goodness and destroy us with steadfast love. And that we would just live in the reality of your nearness, your presence, your goodness to us. So as we sing these songs tonight, I pray that you'd use them, use us, our lives together. Um maybe maybe use these songs as as a seal so that the enemy can't come in and, and try and pick apart what you're doing. May these songs just kind of like I said just like seal that goodness in where your spirit just really hold that together. Let's spend a few just spend a few minutes just talking to the Lord and then we're gonna stand you up and sing and then we'll be done.